You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 324 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Have you subscribed to my YouTube channel, Natural Born Alchemist? Just search that on YouTube and you will find it. It's been a long time since I uploaded a video, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Relax. Quality before quantity. Follow me in social media and... Also, you can become a patron. I'm losing more than I gain for some weird reason, but uh, that's life. Uh, anyway, in this episode, we are going to talk psychedelics, nervous system work, and healing with John Wood, the man behind something called Rage Heart. Okay, so uh, thanks for being on the podcast. No worries, Alex. Thank you for having me. So can you tell a bit about who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, so my name is John, John, uh, John Wood. I, um, you can probably maybe able to hear from the accent that I am Australian, though I have uh, lost my accent, or well, some of it anyway, because I've been overseas for a long time. Uh, for about the last 10 years, traveling around, living in Thailand mainly, Asia, but all over the place, and now I'm actually in Peru. Uh, learning more about uh, ayahuasca and the various psychedelics and plant medicines here. So, yeah, I've been uh, working in business for a long time, online business stuff. Uh, but in the last few years, I've became I've just fallen in love with uh, this whole approach of working with uh, the self, um, which is depending on what people are familiar with. You could call it somatics or nervous system work, but really it's a whole 180 degree way to work with, uh, you know, the self uh, most people, you know, I find work with the mind. So it's meditation, it's journaling, it's gratitude. It's all about thoughts. And uh, what I didn't invent it. I just found some people who were teaching it and it changed everything. There's learning how to work with the nervous system with feeling. And uh, so I've been doing that. And I've uh, recently launched a company to teach that to people. It goes great with psychedelics, which is how I, uh, I think, found you. Was just looking for, um, you know, people... Uh, you know, doing things in the psychedelic space to yeah, tell more people about it. So what do you mean by working with the nervous system? So um, what is the best way to explain it? So the way I like to think about it, the thing that seems to be resonating with the people I talk to is the typical approach to mental health is mental, right? And it's all in the name. We think that if people are anxious or they're depressed or they've got various you know, symptoms, we think about it as a mental thing that if we could just change their thoughts, maybe the neurochemistry or whatever's going on inside their brain, we'd be able to fix the problem. But, you know, and so then we end up with things like meditation where it's really about partly some meditation. A lot of it's about silencing the mind. So not having any thoughts. Uh, there is, you know, making lists of what, what we're grateful for or journaling or even talk therapy where we talk about what happened to us. It's still all very intellectual and mental. We're still engaging with words. And where the nervous system approach comes in and why it goes so great with psychedelics is they're very similar in that it's not really about thinking about what happened to us or thinking about the problem. It's about feeling it. So, and meditation, if it's taught correctly, I think is, can be the same thing, but a lot of people don't do it this way. So when I say nervous system, instead of, you know, thinking about, okay, I'm anxious or I'm depressed or I'm, I've got, I mean, I'm, I'm insecure, I've got negative thoughts. The idea with the nervous system is that we've got stress from, you know, years and decades gone by from the past. 
from because of the fight. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of new words here, but the fight and flight response, right? Bad things happen. We have a stress response. If we don't complete that stress response as kids, and very rarely we do, it gets stuck in the body, in the organs, in the muscles, in the fascia, throughout the entire body. And I believe in my experience that this is this is really the root of a lot of the mental problems that people have. It's not really in the head. It's all the stuff that they're carrying in the body. So to work with the nervous system means working with the survival, the stress response, the fight, flight, freeze, you know, the various things that happen when there's a threat in our environment, whether it's a tiger or a parent or a caretaker or something like that. Does that make sense? Well, so you mean like instead of meditating, like go skydiving? <laughs> What do you mean by that? What why what makes you think skydiving would be um no I I uh, it would uh, just said that one because I I it sounds scary to me. Right. Well the whole idea is is I mean it all starts with learning how to get into your body. So you know even like I meditated for 10 years before I found all this stuff and in I think a few weeks I felt like I'd made more progress with this than in the 10 years meditating before that. And it wasn't, it wasn't really about going skydiving. It was more, it started with learning to feel the ground and learning, like looking around the environment that I'm in, they call it orienting and animals do it. Um, orienting, paying attention to what's going on in my immediate environment with my eyes, my ears, while feeling the ground, while noticing my breath. So there's certain techniques that bring us into our body, into feeling instead of thinking. Um, and so where meditation, I think, fails is that it doesn't seem to, never taught me this. Anyway, when I meet people who meditate, it hasn't taught them this either. They can sit there and shut their eyes and sometimes be quite present. But when it comes to moving through the world, it's a lot harder. So, so rather than going like skydiving, I guess that's one way because it might scare you. It's more, the more embodied we get, the more connected we get to our feeling, what's going on inside the body, the more these old survival responses start to come up, right? Fear or... Um, anger, things from the past, which is the same thing that's happening when we drink ayahuasca or take mushrooms, depending on the intention. It's the same basic idea. There is energy that's stuck and we need to get it out. So we can purge it out during an ayahuasca ceremony or there's different techniques for working with the nervous system to do the same thing. Maybe more like if you meditate whilst doing yoga. <laughs> that's getting closer because that's more like we think about like embodiment, like combining movement with it. But it's more than that. Like maybe if I give you an example, it might make it a bit easier to understand. You know, you've heard about the whole fight and flight response, right? There's a threat and we either try and run away or we try and fight it off. So the whole idea behind this, this work is that if say we're three years old or five years old or however old we're, you know, a kid and our parents or something happens to us as a kid to make us very, very angry, but it's not safe for us to scream because our parents yell at us. They're bigger than us. We can't rage. We can't hit them. We can't attack them. And we can't run away either. So our body's generating all this energy to drive this flight response to make us run away or to make us attack the threat, which might be our parents. But if we can't do either of those things, it'll go into something called freeze where it needs to discharge the energy. But if it can't do that, it's like it locks it down in the body into the cells and the muscles and everything. And that might happen when we're three or five or, you know, it's usually going to be a whole bunch of different times when that happens. And then we're 20 or we're 30 or we're 40 and we're getting angry all the time and we don't know why we can't, we're out of control. Or on the other hand, we don't have any anger at all. We have terrible boundaries. We don't stand up for ourselves. We have trouble following through on our goals. We just don't have that kind of up and go energy. So working with the nervous system, the way it would approach this is by getting someone to connect to their body in a much deeper way than ever before, these charges, you could say, this energy from the past starts to come up. 
and the way you might work with uh, anger or aggression, I would call it, is <laughs> part of it starts with being embodied, feeling what's going on in the body and finding, you know, sometimes you might, there might be a sensation where it's being held. And then by tuning into that, it will start to come up. And then there's different techniques for working with that. It's not about just, you know, meditation might say, just sit with it, just breathe, just sit with it. Whereas this approach, this nervous system approach would, would be more like, like if dogs or tigers or animals get angry, they growl, they snarl, they narrow their eyes. They start to, um, they have all these physiological signs, expressions of the, what they're feeling. And so it's about doing that to embody the feeling. So when the anger, it's not, it's not about just doing it when you're not feeling it, but if it was coming up to then to growl, to literally growl and to narrow the eyes like you're focusing on the threat. So there's different te techniques like that. And what this is giving is it's expressing the, giving the energy that's stuck in the body a way for it to exit the nervous system, which then gives people access to their anger again. They become more regulated or balanced in how they feel their anger. They're not out of control with it. Uh, but they also not completely shut down with it. They have a, a correct, a healthy amount of anger and aggression to live their life. All right. Uh, so uh, uh, a few months ago, I, uh, with my day job, I had a stressful period, like a, a worrying period, like, uh, uh, and uh, it started to annoy me in that. And at the same time, because I, I make music uh, and uh, I... Uh, I, I went back to my musical roots, so I, I recorded like uh, several song, uh, uh, like aggressive punk songs, uh, which I hadn't done in many, a long, long time. Anyway, I did these very angry uh, uh, punk songs, and I, I noticed afterwards that uh, I, I this, that stress I had was gone. Is that uh, in the same area? Because <laughs> I, I I let out the anger through this art, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is part of it. This is, you know, learning to give voice to look, first of all, learning to feel when we're upset, when we're angry or when we're stressed out and then doing things, whether it's with music or embodying it like the way that I mentioned, but learning to express the feeling. Whereas so often, you know, in our culture, I know with meditation, because this is what I was like with meditation. It wasn't really about that. It's just feel it, but don't do anything with it. Don't express it. No one ever explained that to me. So, yeah. Well, one, one, maybe it's just me being judgmental, I don't know, but one pet peeve I have with what people, I don't even like the term, but what, what people call the psychedelic community is that there's too many, uh, uh, like there's the, the archetype is a, a, a white woman who speaks like this very calmly. <laughs> And she meditates, <laughs> and she's very like talking about safe spaces and 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 like uh, not offending anybody and that. And I, I I don't like that because my experiences with ayahuasca and that is that well, it doesn't have to be quiet and and calm. It can be like uh, a wild ride, and also like um, uh, my my experiences is also like how can you even offend anybody? It's all like a funny joke anyway. Uh, so uh, I have a real problem with with those kinds of people. I always butt heads with them, and they often. Uh, even though I'm not, they often uh, sometimes uh, view me as anti-psychedelics, which I'm not, or that I'm like some sort of 
right-wing maniac, which I'm not at all. It's just that I don't like this, like... Maybe it's too wholesome for me. I, I Maybe it's my punk roots. I like it a bit more rough, you know. Uh, but that's something I've, I... And, and the indigenous communities are not like that. They're not, like, talking that calm voice and talking about safe spaces. They don't do that at all. I've seen them smack people who, who don't do what they say. You know, like, who, who misbehave during an ayahuasca ceremony. I've seen them, like, give them a slap, you know, <laughs> which they deserved, actually. But, uh, you know, uh, so I don't know if you've noticed these things. Yeah, I mean, I'm here in Peru in the Sacred Valley, so couple hours from Cusco and uh, the people I hang out with here we have a great community but they're I mean you wouldn't even know that they do psychedelics if you met them at the shops they just look like ordinary people they're not dressed up in like fancy clothes with beads and feathers in their hair like it's very grounded and very down to earth and uh, there's a similar attitude to what you're talking about this whole like culture around spirituality and psychedelics and oh it's a safe space and we're all gonna talk in a really nice spiritual voice like at least where I am and the people I spend time with here, that's just, I don't think it's cool either. I think it's, I think it's quite funny. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of it, like in the psychedelic space or even in spiritual communities, there's this, it's like, it's not really about doing the work, doing the real gritty, dirty, messy, chaotic kind of stuff. It's more about the identity of it. Like I'm going to wear my fancy clothes and I'm going to look spiritual and I'm going to sound spiritual and, and all of that. Which, you know, part of what I want to do with Rage Heart is play around with this. Like, I, you, I think you've been to the website, right? Where, you know, most, you know, meditation or most websites in this businesses in this whole space, it's all, you know, white and it all makes it sound really easy and lights and love and it's all going to be fun and you're going to change your life and blah, blah. Like, it's all presented in that way. Whereas to me, this work, like, I mean, it's fun, it's glorious, it's heartbreaking, it's all of it. And, and I think for people to really, heal and do the work means feeling all of it so like you know they can be calm and noisy but then it's also about being able to go into the anger and have really strong boundaries and being able to call people out on their bullshit when you see it like it's all of those things where so often in the spiritual thing like what you're talking about it's all about being really really nice all the time and yeah it pisses me off too yeah you 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 can still like respect people and still without uh, you know being because uh, you know a, a safe space like that is not safe for me so if they want a safe space they should la allow me to be me but they wouldn't uh, but uh, yeah it's like I, I have had the instances where people have told me uh, because if I like cursed or said something that I thought was funny or a crude joke or something said, oh, we thought you were spiritual how can you behave like this <laughs> like I said what <laughs> Um, and uh, what I've studied, like in like the, the not the fake ones, but the real gurus of India, and that uh, they can have very crude jokes, and they're not so like posh in in that sense, you know. If that's what they want to be, but I think you're correct that they they uh, uh, want to play this. It's identity politics, I guess. It's, it's the identity of being spiritually enlightened. But um, a, a truly spiritually enlightened person might be a, uh, uh, like somebody who works as a bin man and cursing and that. But if he, if that person is at peace, then he's enlightened. You know, he doesn't have to, you know. Yeah, 
I mean, to me, like, like the, the real work, like, you know, just call it, you know, I think everything's really spiritual. It's not spiritual. We're going to wear a robe, like everything. Life is spiritual, no matter what we do or it can be. Um, but to me, like, you know, doing this kind of work where, whether it's with plants or the nervous system approach, or there's other tools out there, it's, it's the times when I've felt the most, you could say spiritual is when I'm the most connected to these emotions, when I'm not denying anything, when I'm willing to feel everything no matter how uncomfortable and how weird and how painful, even sexual, like you mentioned crude, like crude jokes, like <clears throat> some of my friends here, like we're always making really ridiculous sex jokes all the fucking time. Just ridiculous, just stupid stuff, you know? And it's so much fun. Cause it's like, no one's taking anything too seriously. You know, like we can go in and we can have a ceremony and go into some really heavy shit and then we can come out and we can make these ridiculous sex jokes with people's names and, and, you know, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, some people, you know, I think, you know, even with like plants or, you know, the nervous system thing, I think a lot of people resist going, you know, going into the really dark places, even though that's where I think the most goodness is ultimately found. A lot of people avoid it because it's hard. It's really, it's uncomfortable. It means facing some really tough stuff that's inside of us. I, I dress quite, uh, I always dress casual and uh, uh, non-distinct. I don't like uh, to have, like, you know, like invisible. I, I, I was called modest. You know, that's how I dress. I just, I, I just dress from comfort. And anyway, I was hanging out with these people, and and they were let's to get back to 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 punk rock. They were these punks, and they looked like punks with the hair and the studs and all the clothes that the punk punker would wear. And and I told them, yeah, I I I I I I'm a punk as well. And they said, and they said, you? I said, yeah, because it's not in the clothes. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like an attitude or a w outlook. It's not like the clothes, you know, because because uh, it's funny. With uh, it can draw parallels to the spiritual spiritual community. Uh, the way a punk rocker looks, the clothes that comes from uh, the. Uh, upper class kids who were rebelling against their rich parents which is funny because most punks think they're like fighting for the working class uh, but they're using the fashion invented by rich kids you know <laughs> so i think it's quite funny but it's a bit like the uh, also with a spiritual thing where a lot of the spiritual leaders or self proclaimed proclaimed leaders they often also come from quite privileged backgrounds uh, at least compared to the the true healers that you can find in in peru or elsewhere you know what so what like i don't know much about the whole punk scene i listened to punk rock when i was a kid but what 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 does what does it mean to be a punk to you uh it's uh to do whatever you want however you want and uh as sloppy as you want <laughs> uh, no, I, I was paraphrasing Kurt Cobain there but uh, the, his definition is quite good I think uh, and um, so yeah it's just like it's kind of like the musical form of, of anarchism you don't have to play well you know it's just it doesn't matter what if it's good or bad the only thing that matters is you love doing it you know like it's a freedom like so, for instance, I, 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 there's nothing more I love than wearing pajamas. 
And uh, I've reached a stage in my life now that I, I wear it also when I go outside. I don't care anymore. <laughs> so I, I wear pajama bottoms because it's the most comfortable clothes and I only dress what's comfortable. So uh, so that's punk, I guess, because you're not supposed to wear pajama bottoms when you go go outside, you know. Uh, but it's not the tradition. It's not like... Um, it's not stuck in this, like, you have to wear these certain trousers to be punk, you know. Punk is you can wear whatever you want, you know, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what it is. I can wear a dress if I want to. You know, it doesn't matter as long as it is what I want. Anyway, that's my definition, I'm, I'm, but I'm not the gatekeeper of punk, so I don't know what the official, but that's that's how I've perceived it, anyway. Uh, you know, it's not like a fashion. Uh, and And that goes with anything, I guess. I mean, like, if you're hip hop, I mean, you should be able to wear a to have a suit on, and still be a hip hop artist. You don't have to wear baggy clothes, you know. Uh, but I guess it's the same with spirituality. You know, you don't have to wear a robe or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fancy clothes and yoga beads around your neck, all that stuff. Next time I go to Peru, uh, when I'm in ceremony, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a suit. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Just to that mess with people. Fun. That'd be interesting. Yeah, it's fun playing around with different clothes. I've got some purple lilac tracksuit pants that I really like. They don't, they just look like, well, they're just purple pants. Um, I guess they don't look too spiritual, but um, they're fun to wear, though. They kind of remind me of bubblegum. Like pajama. They, I guess they're about like pajama pants. Like they're very, very comfortable. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, comfort is the most important, I think. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, so uh, so uh, have you uh, um, noticed any? Have you um, the thing you're teaching? I guess you're using on yourself. Have you noticed anything of your own development? I mean, it's changed my life. Um, like how all this started was, I was living in Thailand at the time. It's a the whole story. I was working with a couple of life coaches or they said they were life coaches and we did like a hired them for a mushroom ceremony and some coaching that so we did this mushroom ceremony and they ended up telling me uh, they were meant to be doing some kind of healing thing and i trusted them at the time um for the most part and uh, they ended up telling me that i was basically worse than hitler during this little mushroom ceremony we're all on mushrooms and they're channeling from some other dimension apparently the husband's talking to aliens or something and then uh, apparently they tell him that i've killed all these people in a past life like it was ridiculous but at the time i'm on mushrooms so i didn't really you know i didn't take it too seriously but i also didn't dismiss it either it kind of spun me out and uh, i mean these people were <laughs> like the kind of spiritual people we're talking about they wore they love to wear white because they said it's the most spiritual color they didn't have any tattoos, no piercings. They were always wearing yoga beads around their neck. I don't know why I fell for it, to be honest. Uh, well, I do <laughs> I do now, uh, but I didn't at the time. And uh, for a few months after that, they we kept seeing I kept seeing them with my girlfriend at the time in Thailand. And um, they, I mean, they kept playing these games where it was telling my girlfriend at the time that I was dark, that I was basically a bad person. I realized that they were just manipulating her and trying to drive us apart, which they ultimately did. So a few months after that ceremony, you know, I was in pretty, uh, it could have gone either way. And I think it could have been a lot, it could have been really messed up in the sense if you told someone that, that they were worse than Hitler and they believed you, if someone was fragile emotionally, they might go away and kill themselves. 
So it was a, or just get totally sucked into whatever the hell these people are doing. It's like a start of a cult, I guess. And uh, what happened was, I think I was angry at the time. This was in 2019. Uh, so a few years ago now. I was, I think I was well, definitely angry at the time, but I didn't know it was about them. I thought, oh, I've been triggered. You know, I, maybe I'm just projecting. That's another spiritual thing people do. Oh, you're just projecting. So I'm angry. I'm upset, but I don't yet know that it's because of them and then you know i'm meditating i'm doing all the spiritual stuff that people do people say to do and i'm still working with them and then what changed was around three months after i met them or did that ceremony i spoke to my sister she just started learning about this whole nervous system thing and the way she described it i remember feeling like that i have to do that i don't know why i just made so much sense to me so i went on google and looked around a bit found an article which led me to a course took this course and i swear a few days into this thing of you know learning how to work with the nervous system how to be in the body um, two emotions started to you know bubble up and become really obvious to me one was grief because i realized i was just i remember one sunday afternoon i, I didn't cry i don't cry very often i was crying all afternoon because I realized that these people had basically manipulated me and my girlfriend at the time, you know, to the point where it was too late to do anything about it. Um, they'd gotten in her head so much. So I was very, very sad and ab- fucking furious when I realized just how twisted what they had done was and how they kept doing it. And so now I look back on that. What saved me was not meditation or all the standard self-help stuff people say to do. It was this nervous system thing. It was learning to get into the body, learning to feel and learning to trust my emotions. And if I hadn't done that, you know, for all I know, I'd still be with them over in Thailand, probably a shell of my former self. Because um, <laughs> So that happened. This was in January 2020. And from there, I was like, man, this shit, this nervous system thing is amazing. And I moved back to Australia after that, broke up with, uh, we ended up, we broke up uh, that girl I was seeing at the time for obvious reasons. And um, she's, for all I know, I think she's still working with them. And then for the next couple of years after that, it was just processing, you know, the breakup and then also just what it was like to be just so manipulated uh, by these people and have boundaries so completely violated. Um, so that led me down reading books about cults and mind control and, and all that stuff. But a huge piece of the puzzle was this nervous system thing, it was learning to feel and to trust um, my feelings, my emotions. It saved me from them. Uh, and then I was working, you know, staying with family in Australia for a little while. You know, it led to, along with the plant medicine and psychedelics, because I was doing that in Australia, you know, those two things together, the nervous system work and plant medicine it just led to so many chefs. Like it saved me from these people. It, it, I ended up confronting someone in my family who I'd been terrified of for just about my entire life of having, you know, a direct confrontational conversation. And for the first time in my life, I was able to be honest with him about some things that I wasn't happy about, which led to a whole you know, big fight. And, and now we're in Peru. So, you know, it's totally changed the way I work with psychedelics as well. Uh, because I find psychedelics, ayahuasca, all of it, they're all doing a very similar thing, which is going into the body of the nervous system in, in the human system and finding these things that we're carrying from the past, stirring them up, and then, you know, hopefully they come out. But I think where a lot of people get stuck with psychedelics is they unknowingly block it, they resist it, they fight it. And so a big part of the learning process, in my experience, is learning to feel, learning to stop thinking and learning to really feel. Uh, but the challenge is most people don't, really have that many tools for doing that. And that's what, that's what helped me over the last couple of years was the, 
nervous system thing. It was actual real techniques that I could go and drink ayahuasca and go, oh, I know, I know what to do. Like, oh, okay, feel this and okay, use sound in this way. And yeah, so it's, yeah, and that's probably a big part of why I'm in Peru now is, you know, I was in Australia, sorted some things out with family, got away from those people in Thailand. And now I'm in Peru, you know, drinking medicine quite regularly and um, still doing all the nervous system stuff because I absolutely love it. I mean, it's every day, all the, just throughout the whole day, it's become a, it's become a lifestyle. It's not like a thing I do once. It's just a, just part of who I am now, I think. It's also illogical what they did because if we assume that reincarnation is true, then everybody who's on this planet have uh, murdered and done bad things to other people. That's probably why we're here again. So it's like, <laughs> if you hadn't, if you were completely pure, why would you be reincarnated? You know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, we've, I think for them, though, it was on a different planet. So they weren't saying I did it on Earth. They were saying that I came from a different solar system and I killed all these beings in another solar system. So there's no way to prove or disprove any of it. Um, just <laughs> I, have a, I have a strange memory, actually. It reminds me of this. Uh, I don't know. You know the earliest memories you have, the ones that are almost like a distant dream, One of my earliest, earliest memories is that I remember thinking uh, to myself that in this life uh, I was going to be good. Uh, and I, I recently had children and they they keep, uh, now they're starting to grow out of it, but they they kept talking about who they were before. And I've been reading up on this, and apparently that's it's quite common that young children remember what was before they were born. Uh, I think it's quite fascinating. So I'm I'm wondering if I remember like that I was bad, and then decide to do good this time, see what the difference is, and what the res end result is. Uh, but I don't know. But I I actually you know like they say uh, uh, the ayahuasca. Uh, reconnects different synapses in your brain. So if you have a problem with a certain emotion, because your brain doesn't connect to that, it reconnects it so you can access that again. And I actually, in one ceremony, I actually saw that. I, I saw the... I saw it change connections. It's hard to explain, but I saw I saw the thing happen. So uh, it's very scientific, you know. Uh Reminds me of those like um, CGI graphics they make of uh, the brain and how things work. Uh, but, uh, you know, I saw the, the connections change and, and move into something else. Um, and um, uh, I also had, uh, I had a lot of anger against my father. And, and the ayahuasca completely cured me of that by uh, helping... Uh, helping me let go uh, because my uh, emotions were all connected to anger or slash revenge whereas uh, it was so it sounds easy now when I say it but it was very difficult but as soon as I realized that I could just let it go like in the same way you throw trash in the bin you know like it's Why, why nobody walks around with their trash in your hand. You just throw it in the bin, you know, like just let it go. Um, so I think that's quite amazing. And uh, uh, you could, somebody could have told me to do that, but that would never have worked. But the ayahuasca like visualized it 
which made it and and reconnected i don't know really exactly how it works but it's amazing uh, it's amazing medicine anyway yeah i mean it's like that reminds me of something in the like the way they would explain some of this stuff in the nervous system world is you know when we have certain feelings that are too intense say as a kid like uh, like anger you mentioned anger um one of the ways like if we can't process it at the time it's so intense what can happen is in the system they, they say freezes it or it shuts it down or you know another word is disassociation so it's like it's still there but we disconnect from it and then we can no longer feel it it's like a survival mechanism because we were feeling that all the time throughout our entire life we might not be able to do very much so it's like the way the nervous system works is it'll start to cut things off so we can feel them at a later date, you know, when, instead of when we're five years old, maybe when we're 30 or 40 or 50 and drinking ayahuasca in the jungle and we have some space and capacity for it. So this is what I mean about it. it's the very, very similar in the sense of, yeah, it's like we have these feelings and we might not be feeling the root feeling, but it still plays itself out in our mind. This is what I keep telling people on, you know, in Rage Heart, where I teach people this stuff where it's like, it's like I, now I see most of my thoughts, especially the neurotic thoughts, whether they're angry or fear-based, it's like they're just leaves on a tree. It's not, the thoughts aren't really the issue. The thoughts are growing out of something inside me, something deeper, like a feeling or emotion that I'm holding onto and haven't let go of yet. And so, you know, I find if I can find that feeling and feel through that and release it at that level or let it go, like I'm letting go of a piece of trash, like you said, then the thoughts, they just start to dissolve and it's like, oh, they're they're kind of gone. Like I don't even have to really think about the thoughts or worry about the thoughts. They just kind of take care of themselves once the feeling's gone. That it's funny with trauma because it's like so deep. So like my father like left and didn't want to ha have any contact uh, when I was very little, and that messes with your head. Like so, I've always had this issue with like uh, 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 like I want somebody to want me without any conditions you know and but that those problems have all gone away you know like i i'm healed from that but i funnily enough i i recently realized something that it's trauma is so deep that it sneaks its way in anyway so i i, I realized recently that because i have twitter right and a common thing in social media is that if somebody follows you you follow them back and oftentimes people follow you and if you don't follow them back they stop following you because it's it's not fair you know but i i've had this thing where i refuse to follow anybody who follows me back because i want them to follow me without condition you know what i mean <laughs> so it's actually the only thing that remains is that so i, I realized that i said oh maybe i should work on on that bit but it's funny how trauma can like uh, if you if you, even if you get rid of it, it can surface in even the most meaningless aspects of your life, you know? Well, we have, I mean, in the nervous system world, I don't know what you mean by trauma, but I know in the nervous system world, trauma as a word refers to not an event that happened to us, but the stress or the energy that was created by the event. So it's not that, say, our father left us or, you know, in my case, my father was quite manipulative. He was there, but he was, you know, gaslighting, guilt tripping, various kinds of, you know, a, a manipulative, you know, gambits or ploys, which is very toxic and negative. So like whatever it happens to be, you know, I used to worry about or think about well, what happened. Whereas the cool thing that I love about the one cool thing I love about the nervous system thing is it changes 
the whole script where it's like instead of it being the event of what happened it's the emotion the energy that was created in that situation so you know like with my dad when i think about manipulation and when you know being guilt tripped it's like if i i might go to him and say have a problem with something so i'm honest with him or he might ask hey what do you think about this and if, if i tell him and it's negative he might explode you know he, would, he could explode sometimes never physically but emotionally he'd lash out and say well you just, it's not such a big deal don't be such a don't be so uptight all these little things and they seem very subtle i suppose at the time but now that i've you know worked through a lot of it it's it helped me realize what what the message is to a kid when you do that to a child it's saying whatever you feel is not okay like whatever you're authentically feeling right now i know you're not happy with me it's your problem it's because you're broken and so then i think what happens it creates what they call toxic shame in the nervous system, which then, you know, you start going through your life. I start moving through my life thinking there's something wrong with me because my dad, the way different people related to me implied uh, that there was something wrong with me. And so the way the nervous system model would work with something like that or with a situation like yours, instead of going, it's about the event or let's go and remember all the things that dad said. It's like, let's feel it's, it's really about, you know, every time my dad says, would say stuff like that to me, there'd be a, my body, I'd feel it, you know, there'd be part of it would be feeling angry. I know that now I would feel very angry, but I couldn't get angry at dad because he was bigger, stronger. He would say something else. I couldn't express the anger to him. So I held it in. And, uh, and then later in life now it's been working through that. Hasn't really, it's not really about, I guess, thinking about what happened, what all the things he said, blah, blah, blah. It's more been about just the energy, the emotion, feeling the anger that was behind all that, that I, wasn't able to express all those times ago or let go of, like you said, you know, all the shame, feeling what that toxic shame feels like in the system. Uh, and where, like you mentioned, that trauma, all this stuff keeps, like we can clear it and then it comes back. I think the way the, you know, in the nervous system, like you could just call this stress, trauma or stress. It's energy, right? Stuff happens and then our body releases chemicals and adrenaline and lots of different things. It's really just energy, stress, trauma, different words for the same thing. And so we can clear all the stuff from the past, but if we're still living a stressful life, whether it's with, food, you know, we're not eating the right diet, we have a stressful job, we have a fight with our family, it's like these pathways can get activated again because the stress, again, we, we, it's like we have to keep moving it. You know, if we can still hold on to stress now when we're adults and so staying healthy, in my experience, is about not just letting go of the stuff in the past, but also not holding to stuff holding on to stuff that's in the present as well. It's like constantly working through it, constantly feeling things and letting things go. So it just so it doesn't stick. Yeah, diet is very important. I they often say, you know, you are what you eat and but and diet is very popular. I mean everybody's on some sort of diet and that, but I I, I don't think many people uh, try to find the correct diet. They often have a diet based on either they want to look a certain way uh, lose weight or something like that or they have a diet that's more like a political identity like I'm a vegan or something like that but uh, uh, I found that I, I, I've tr I found a diet now that's more like what what is most suitable for me and uh, it's been a major difference in how I, I you know I'm not as tired I'm not as I used to have a short fuse. It's, it's very much longer. Uh, many benefits just because of um, the diet that works for me. And and this is not something I can't tell you my diet and it works for you. It has to be. It's very individual. It depends on 
many factors. But uh, so I think that's something I also learned from from uh, uh, the indigenous uh, with the ayahuasca because they also do many different diets. Uh, and uh, I, I think uh, it's, it's strange that, I mean, the perfect society, you would try and teach kids in school about trying to find what's the best diet for them, you know. Because everybody fits with certain foods. like Right. Well, this is, I mean, this ties into, you know, the nervous system thing and what I do with people at Rage Heart where, you know, one of the lessons, I think in Rage 9, I t- you know, we talk about how to follow your impulse. And this is, again, nothing, something that I, no one ever taught me, meditation or any self-help book ever that I, that I ever read anyway. But a really early part of, you know, Rage Heart and the nervous system model is is learning what it means to follow follow our impulse, which... The best way I can explain it is it's like when we want to go to the bathroom, we just feel it. We don't think about it. We don't journal about it. We can literally feel a sensation in our groin that says, okay, it's time to go to the bathroom. And if we didn't feel that or follow it, we'd probably, you know, wet our pants. The same with food. You know, most of us have some idea when we're hungry. We might not, we might ignore it sometimes because we're working, but if we wait long enough, eventually we'll just be so hungry will feel it that we'll just have to eat same with thirst same with sleep and so we all have ways of we already we all already follow our impulse to some degree with very obvious things like that but where it gets interesting with you know rage heart and the nervous system work is we can by paying more attention to these impulses and following them as soon as we feel them instead of waiting and waiting we then start to heal feel subtler impulses such as what foods are really good for us how we're reacting to bread versus steak versus fruits versus whatever else. And like you said, over time, I think what that leads to is, is we start to find, you know, a diet or a food that really works for us, but it doesn't come from a book. It doesn't come from, you know, like you said, someone telling us what to eat. That can be helpful as a starting point, but that's another thing that's come out of this work for me is becoming much more in tune with, with my, with my body, with my energy, really noticing how it, all the different foods that I eat affect me. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the food foods are not good for me were always affecting me how they, you know, in a negative way before. It's just that I wasn't paying attention. I was so in my head. I was thinking so much all the time about just everything that I didn't notice these subtle cues of, okay, well, when I eat, say, butter, you know, butter's been a thing. I love butter. But over the last few months, it's become clear it just doesn't work for me for different reasons. Um, and I'm sure it was probably always like that, but I just wasn't feeling it or noticing it. And so that's one of the cool things about this, the whole nervous system thing or getting into the body, working with plant medicine is the more we learn to feel, the more we start to feel like, you know, what foods are good for us or, um, you know, people, you know, the reason I missed, I fell for the, you know, the the people in Thailand was I wasn't really, I wasn't in my body and I certainly wasn't trusting it. I felt, you know, I felt a little bit off before I even hired them, but I didn't trust it. Whereas now if I feel that, you know, that feeling sometimes with people, I'm done with them like very quickly now. And so that's, you know, that's what's so great about feeling is it's like the body has this wisdom that can teach us things about what food to eat or about what people to spend time with or about what kind of work we need to do, what our purpose is. I've noticed in my whole life, that I often try to listen to my what you call the gut feeling. And uh, it's, it's, I don't can't even think of a, an instance where the gut has been wrong. It's usually been right, and and the t- few times I haven't ignored it, I've regretted it, you know. Uh, so I try to always go with my gut feeling, uh, even if at the time it's uh, doesn't seem 
correct. It usually is. Uh, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, and and the weird thing is when I do have a gut feeling, you, you feel it in the gut. It's really strange. Like It's not like your brain is thinking. It's like it's the body thinking somehow. Uh-huh, exactly. Well, it's like this. I think there's neurons down there. We've got like, you know, some neurons in our heart, our chest, and some neurons in our gut. So it is like we've got three different brains, our head, heart, and our gut. Yeah, yeah, and it is a famous expression, so it must be uh, something people have been aware of, but it's been lost in the hectic rat race, you know, because it's very hard to do any of these things when you're in the rat race. Well, this is, you know, this is why I love this, you know, rage heart and the nervous system approach is because it's, you know, it's, I guess for me, because, you know, people have said, I knew this whole follow your gut thing. I've probably known it forever. Everyone says it, but how do you do it? You know, that's been what's, a, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of the reason why I love this stuff is because people say, get out of your head, John, you know, stop thinking so much. People have said that to me for years. Stop, you know, yeah, you think too much and like, oh, cool, great, but as for how to do that, it's not always so straightforward when, you know, cause I think a lot of people like that. Well, I need, I know I need to think less. I know I need to trust my gut, but how do I do that? Some people are wired that way. I think some people are much more just in tune with their bodies, but if there's someone's not, how do you teach them to do those things? And that's why like, you know, for me, I find it's helpful to kind of think, well, I'm already doing it when it, with the bathroom and with, you know, with hunger. So if I can do it with that, it's like, there's going to be subtler things. Like, let's start to really tune in and feel. And a lot of it's about, like you said, with the rat race, slowing down enough to, to feel these things. Cause if we're always constantly moving and thinking and doing stuff, we miss the little subtle cues that our body is giving us all the time. So what would be a very simple thing if people are listening to this and they want to, uh, try it out what could be a simple thing they could do to to work with the nervous system yeah the first thing a really good place to start is simply feeling the ground or the chair that you're in and just noticing what it feels like noticing that you're not falling through the air (laughs) you're standing on something or you're sitting on something so instead of thinking about stuff just feel it just feel the feel the raw sensation of that ground and then have a look around the room or the space that you're in the environment they call this orienting to the environment and there's different types of orienting one of them being defensive orienting such as when there's a ball coming for your face and you or even a sound maybe that's like a car backfires on the street and you orient you turn your head towards the sound to make sure it's not coming for you it's all instinctual and automatic and so <clears throat> this is how the body, how the nervous system regulates the stress response. So if we're feeling anxious, a lot of times it's because of this. We're not orienting. We're not paying attention to what's going on around us. We're caught in our head in some thought loop, which, you know, which is why we're feeling stress. So feeling the ground, seeing what's around us, orienting to the environment, noticing our breath and seeing if we can just notice it without changing it. So those three things, and then where I find it gets interesting is when you pair all those things together. So can you feel the ground while seeing what's around you, while noticing your breath? And it's really like a playing with uh, multitasking your awareness, weaving those three points of focus together. And if someone you know isn't able to see what's around them, you can do it with sound, hearing, or smelling. So it's really about blending in sensory data for the nervous system. 
And the final piece, and this is where it ties into anxiety or when we're really activated, is the idea of safety, which is, you could say, orienting to the safety in the environment. So if we're stressed about work, we had a fight with someone or, you know, wife, husband, whoever, and a friend, and we're feeling a bit activated, one thing we can do is just looking around and seeing if it's safe around us. Because often when we're feeling activated, we're feeling stressed. We feel unsafe, right? We, our system's like, I'm unsafe. I'm, someone just attacked me verbally or something's going on. And so we might think about it, you know, and try and think, no, like what's going on? If I think about it enough, maybe I'll calm down. Not realizing that our system just feels unsafe. And if the system, the nervous system, not the mind, the nervous system feels unsafe, it's going to have these anxious kind of things that are going on. You get the heart racing tense body, can't sleep, can't digest food properly, all kinds of things. So the solution is not to think about it, not to say necessarily journal about it. It's literally just to look around and see if it's safe. And, you know, that can be sound, maybe sound a little bit conceptual of like, well, what does that even mean? But to me, it means if there was a tiger nearby, I would not feel safe, right? If there was a dude with a bomb, running at me with a knife or something i would not feel safe but there's none of those things so right now at least in this present moment i'm safe and by noticing the absence of threats of danger it's like i'm giving my nervous system the raw sensory data the colors the sounds the smells that it needs to know that it's safe and it can be other things can include if i'm like sitting in the park and just noticing what I notice, which is a really cool practice. I might, I find I notice the louder the sound is, the more more chance I'll notice it. The faster moving an object is, the more chance I'll notice it, right? So I'm not going to notice a, you know, a little ma- you know, mouse on the other side of the street that I can barely see. But if a truck drives down the street and honks its horn, I'll definitely be looking at that. Like my, I'll, I won't even be able to really choose. I'll just naturally just start, orienting towards that sound because it's a potential threat so it's like if those things aren't present if things are pretty calm it's quiet there's no fast moving objects there's no tigers or screaming people there's a real absence of those things then there's a pretty good chance i'm safe and by paying attention to that not by thinking about it but by literally looking at that at that absence i'm giving my nervous system the data it needs to go oh, it's safe And as the nervous system realizes that it's safe, it starts to come out of that stress response, out of sympathetic activation, we call it in the nervous system world, and down into parasympathetic, to the part of your nervous system when you're relaxed, when you're digesting food, when you're talking to friends. So this is really about giving people almost like a manual for their nervous system, for how to manage and regulate that stress response with what it actually needs instead of what you think it needs. It's like when you're a, a child or in school and you are stressed or worried because you forgot to do your homework or you're late for school. And then when you're a bit older, you realize you were worried. I mean, that was r- ridiculous to be worried about that. I mean, it was a pointless thing. It didn't affect your life at all. But then you're instead worried that some girl or whatever might not like you or how, will she give a positive reply or something. But then 10 years later, you don't even remember her name. So it was completely, it wasn't that important. 
but you keep doing it and you're thinking at the yeah but what's what I'm concerned about now that's the important thing but then so you keep forgetting that 10 years from now it's irrelevant so when, like when you're in your deathbed you only really care about if maybe if you have children you only care about that they're happy you know like I mean, everything else is completely pointless you know in, in a sense when it comes to what is a problem you know well this is you know this is a big part of what i do with people in ray chart um, is teach them about safety and and you know where i'm at now in my journey with this i see all this stuff i th- used to think well oh, i'm worried about money and i'm worried about what i said to my friend that day and i'm worried about does this girl like me and i think i've got all these different issues you know it can feel like i've got a money issue and a dating issue and a friend issue and a you know, my body's not big enough, strong enough, what like it just whatever. And the more I do this work, the more I I think see that the only real problem is that I just don't feel safe in all these situations. And because I'm not I don't feel fully safe, that's why my mind is worried. Oh, it must be because I said that thing to my friend. Oh, I know it must be because that girl doesn't like me. And if she did like me, then I would finally feel safe. And so it's reframe things or change things where now instead of seeing I've got or anyone's got lots of different issues it's more like most of the time the only issue is that someone doesn't feel safe and if they felt truly safe in their body and their nervous system most of those worries would just dissolve it's not to say that they would give up they would still go and date and eat food and hang out with friends but there wouldn't be that neurotic kind of thinking because they would feel safe there'd be no need to scan for threats like that Cool. So if people want to learn more about this, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, the easy, well, the only place is rageheart.co. So um, if it's not clear from the way I'm saying it, it's like Braveheart, that movie with Mel Gibson. But instead of brave, it's rage, rageheart.co. Or you can just go to Google. It's probably easier if you just go to Google and type in Rageheart and uh, I'll be the first result there. And head over there. There's a um, best place to start is what I call the daily rage which is a free daily email newsletter where I you know, explain more about the whole nervous system thing and talk about safety and basically give people more tips and tricks and ways of working with themselves like this. Cool. Well, uh, thank you a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast. Yeah, no worries, Alex. Thank you for having me, man. It's been fun. Check out rageheart.co if you want to unleash the beast. Hey, this is Anthony Tyler, host of Black Hoodie Alchemy on the Fringe FM. You can catch me every Monday evening, 6 p.m. Pacific time, where we uh, talk about the dark side of metaphysics and we'll chill a little bit. Uh, And you can catch me the day after on Spotify or Apple or Amazon or wherever else you stream your podcasts. If you've ever wondered what someone like Carl Jung might say about serial killers or perhaps cryptids, then this is the show for you. Skeptical? yet open-minded, empirical, but philosophical. We are going to talk about some really weird stuff, so I hope you join me on Black Hoodie Alchemy. Take it easy. On the YouTubes, there are many kinds of channels you can follow. Reaction channels, mukbang channels, prank channels, comedy channels, and PewDiePie or Mr. Beast. But they are already making bank. Consider supporting a channel that as of yet hasn't really decided even what it is. If you build it, nerds will come. The Natural Born Alchemist YouTube channel. Search for that on YouTube and you will find it.
And apart from posting the podcast, I make videos on alchemy, psychedelics, anarchy and films. Hopefully you'll enjoy them. It would really help if you subscribe. Thank you. Subscribe. I'm gonna end with some Beethoven. Aha, you're thinking. Nope. Maybe it's... No, not that. Not that one. No, 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 no. Come on. I'm better than that. You see, there is a Beethoven composition that is not only underrated, but not that well known with the casual classical music listener. It's the awesome and amazing Coriolan Overture, Opus 62, written in 1807. So sit down, relax, go with the flow, and listen to Beethoven unleashing his inner beast with this 200-year-old punk song. Freedom is in the mind.